Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of South will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. So we, uh, we celebrated VE Day, Victory in England Day this week. Uh, so it's a good question to ask, and I'm sure it's one that we're going to have to ask sooner or later when thinking about war and uh, suffering and those kind of things, is what will fully restrain evil in our world? What will fully restrain evil in our world? It's the subject of lots of our conversations, isn't it? And we've all got our opinions on what it might be. We've just remembered the bravery of many men and women who fought and gave their lives for freedom for their own generation and that of future generations against the evil intent of just one individual that was carried out by many. And we have to ask, is, is war the answer? Has anything changed? What would you say the answer is? Well, lots of people would say law, law and order. Bear with me if that's not you. But lots of people see deterrence actually seeing a drop in criminal activity. But actually, the data must be skewed as people find new ways to carry out or conceal their activities. And few would ever claim that laws can eradicate evil altogether. So what can? Others think it's, it's us. We can. Uh, all the potential to overcome evil is actually lying inside of us. And all we need to do is just realise who we are and evil will be restrained. It will subside. And different as they seem, those two answers addressed in this chapter, Jesus says that we are powerless to restrain evil ourselves. Both those answers depend on us. We may generalise about the evil out there in the world, but it's far more personal and relevant than that. The evil actually is in me. What will restrain evil in me? Well, Jesus says it won't be us. And that's our first point. Uh, we see that in verse 36. We didn't read it, so we'll read it now. Um, Jesus says we can't do it because we're evil. Verse 36 says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. By your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. And he says in verse 
34, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Saying we're evil might seem a bit strong, but it's what Jesus says. And he'll explain what is so evil about our demand for a sign from him. Now, the people have just seen Jesus perform many miracles. They're visible proof of Jesus's power. But they didn't want to lose face. They didn't want to admit that Jesus had the greater authority and that they would got it wrong. So what they try to do is brush it off and write Jesus off. And they're not content to go alone. Uh, you see in verse 24, they want the crowd for themselves. So they shut down their intrigue of can this be the son of David with an empty claim of their own. They say the power he uses is evil. Well, there's a big danger in going along with the spiritual voices of the day. And this passage shows that there are many today who would say, you don't need Jesus. Don't bother with him. That's why I think we should see Jesus response in this passage to them as not just to the Pharisees, but to all the people who were there and therefore to us. He shows us where that road leads so that we think carefully about who we're going to listen to. And where it's going to lead us. So if you look in verse 38, they return to answer Jesus with a demand for a sign. They want more than Jesus has already done already. They want to see something, not just an action here on earth that's impressive, but something that they can categorically say comes straight from heaven. Uh, if it was today, it would be people saying, I need God to write it on the on the clouds or in the stars. I need God to write, write it on the, on the sky and then I believe. So that's the kind of thing they're asking for. Well, in verses 41 to 45, Jesus will show what's down the track, what's down that track for the Pharisees and anyone they manage to turn away from Jesus. In verse 39, Jesus gives them his answer. Jesus, we desire to see a sign from you. And Jesus says this in verse 39, no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. No sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So Jesus responds to their demand for, for proof. And we'll get to what he says will prove it in a moment. But for now, just see how Jesus flips their expectation on its head. People may come with their list of things that God has got to do to prove himself. But there'll be just one sign. And we don't get to decide what that is. He does. And more than that, Jesus said that this kind of approach and attitude actually shows how evil we are, doesn't, didn't he? He said that in verse 39. It is an evil and adulterous generation that asks for a sign. Our rebellion is actually demonstrated in the fact that we demand God to prove his existence and, and actually that he does it our way. And Jesus said, clearly, that's not going to that's not how this is going to work. So actually, it's a big sledgehammer, isn't it, taken to our assumption that God has to jump through our hoops. He doesn't have to and he won't. And if we expect that he should, 
It's that we think we're better than God. Jesus unsurprisingly says in verse 41 that this path leads to condemnation. But just notice in verses 41 to 43, who else will be there and what they'll say. Let's read from verses 41 to 43. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Who's going to, who else will be there? Nineveh. Assyria. God's sworn enemies. The, the, the people that Jonah didn't want to even touch with a barge pole because they were so wretched. The people that Jonah was so lacklustre in preaching judgment and warning to. And yet when the warning came, the people of Nineveh were saved. They repented. And Jesus will get to the fact that the Pharisees haven't made that response. And then the other people there are the queen is the queen of the south. She's a Gentile woman. On hearing a report of Solomon's wisdom, she trekked all the way from Ethiopia, which is 1,500 miles away. She came in 1 Kings 10 verse 1 to test him. That's interesting, isn't it? To test his wisdom. And yet when she heard Solomon for herself, what did she do? She bowed the knee. She gave up her riches and she declared, blessed be the Lord your God. So their responses are repentance and reverence. This reminds me a bit of what Jesus said to the towns in chapter 11 about them being worse off on the day of judgment than some characteristically evil nations. Remember that? That they'll be worse off on the day of judgment. And here it's a Gentile woman and a pagan nation who will bring evidence against them because their offence actually is far worse. In failing to acknowledge one who is far greater than Jonah the prophet or Solomon the king, they'd refuse to repent and yet Jesus is the greatest prophet. Nor would they acknowledge one far wiser than Solomon, Jesus, God's king. And to finish off the set of prosecution against them, something greater than the temple. Back in verse six, Jesus is the priest, he's the prophet and he's the king. And yet they call him evil and want him dead. So they can't rely on themselves because they are evil and they cannot restrain evil themselves. In fact, they're the ones who have evil in their hearts. Um, let's look at verses 41 to 45. Uh, Jesus gives a picture. It's a parable in verses 41 to 45. Let me read a few. In verses 43, it says, when the unclean spirit had gone out of a person, it passed through waterless places seeking rest but found none. Then it said, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. And Jesus says, that's what it will be with this generation. Jesus 
we've seen this, haven't we? And his coming, he pushed back evil. So the demons, uh, they did what he said. They had to flee and people's lives were restored. And he said that uh, he is the stronger man who can put, bind Satan and so that release people under his control. Jesus does it by the spirit of God. But in slandering Jesus, the, the Pharisees were clinging. They were calling the spirit's work evil. They were offending the only one who could transform their evil hearts. They were cutting off their only option. And Jesus's point here, as he returns to the topic of evil spirits in this parable, is that the generation that will not follow him will not only be judged, but their lives are actually defense, defenseless. He shows them by the category of evil that returns just how powerless they will be to it. That's what it says, isn't it? The spirit will go away, then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So there's a bit of false assurance as um, at first, isn't there? When the spirit leaves, it looks great. And enough time for them to clean things up and to get things in order. That's the bit of time where Jesus is there and he's holding evil at bay. But the house is still empty because they haven't received the spirit. The, the Holy Spirit who can restrain evil. The only one who can bind up Satan. And that means the, the evil spirit can return. And when it does, it would be eight times worse than it was before. So if they reject Jesus, they're going to end up uh, with no defences against evil in their lives. They're going to end up sin running riot and nothing that they can do to stop it. So what will stop evil? What will restrain evil in us, in our hearts? Well, it's not going to be us. We're evil. We're, we're powerless against evil. We always succumb to it. And if we won't have Jesus, if we won't have the spirit of God dwelling in us, if we turn from him, refuse the offer he's giving us, then we won't be able to restrain evil. Uh, the second thing we're going to see is that Jesus can restrain evil. And that's picking up what he said would be the sign. And um, so if we go back to what he says uh, in verses 40 to 41. No sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And Jesus is using it. He, he's using Jonah as a, a, a picture a demonstration of, of something that's going to happen. And he says in verse 40, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He's referring to himself in verse 40. He says that he's speaking of his death and his burial. Just as Jonah was in the whale for th the fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the earth. But he's not just speaking about his death and burial, because if you know Jonah, his time in the fish 
ended, he was spat out onto the shore. And Jesus is clearly referring to his resurrection here. Three days after death, Jesus emerged from the grave. Just like it was with Jonah. So they're looking for proof from heaven of Jesus' authority. And Jesus says, here it is, guys. Grab your highlighter, underline this three times. This is the only sign you're getting. So pay attention. I will die. I will be buried. And then I'll come back to life. And Jesus says that this proves he is the Messiah, the one God promised in the Old Testament. It proves that he is the son of man, the one given authority over all things. And it proves that evil has finally been dispatched. Because the death Jesus died was a punishment for sin. Why is that? Well, we think, don't we, sin is just sin against other people. But actually, it's a judgment from God for rejecting him. We saw that in the Garden of Eden. For dust you are, to dust you will return. And Jesus' death was taking on, on himself the punishment for sin. For all the evil things committed or thought or said. And actually, he died, he died for our sin. So that's the way that evil can be dispatched. And the father confirmed all this, didn't he, by raising Jesus from the dead. So if we want and need someone who will fully restrain evil in us and in our world, we need to look no further than Jesus. So we've been seeing, haven't we, that what will restrain evil it's not going to be us. We're powerless against evil. But Jesus can. And, and he says that the sign that he has that authority is, the, is the, the cross and his empty tomb. Well, this is good news. And it's good news if you're like me, because this lockdown, lockdown has been confronting me more than ever with myself. The evil in my heart comes to the surface with frustrated and harsh thoughts and words about others and towards others. And my temptation is to blame heightened conditions or being cooped up. But that's to ignore the overwhelming evidence. My heart is at odds. And it's good of God to show me that. And even to bring about circumstances so that it humbles us to see that. To see that evil from our hearts puts up a barrier, not just with others. That's just a side effect. But with the God who made us behind every word is our attitude towards him. Maybe you'd be a person who'd say, well, if God were to write it on the sky, then I believe. I've had a few conversations with Dagnum folk and have headed down that track. They say the Bible is goofy because there's miracles. And yet God would have to land on my front drive. And then I believe. And reasonable as that might sound to us and to others, it is the greatest evil to, to demand proof and yet reject the person of Jesus. It is the greatest evil to demand proof. That God does, does things our way and yet reject the way that he has given us. So Jesus is the proof and it matters how we respond to him. 
It could just be actually that we've swallowed the spiritual voices of our day who tell us that Jesus is a waste of time. Jesus' death and resurrection is the sign. So actually, if we look, if we want to start having a look, that's a great place to start. It doesn't matter who we are. You could have the worst record imaginable like Nineveh. You might be assuming like the Pharisees or even Jesus' own flesh and blood that you're automatically in. But unless Jesus is your all, then he's nothing at all. He will, he's king, he's priest, he'll bring you to God, and he's a prophet. He's the one you live and listening to and following. He won't simply be an add-on to your life. And with repentance, there will always come a new desire uh, to gather around him with his people and learn from him and his word. And if that's not there, it's better to know that rather than to assume we're in his family when we're not. So follow Jesus, heed the warning and come to him and you'll be forgiven. Jesus conquered evil once and for all at the cross so that we can share in his victory. And he was raised so that his new life and his spirit might enter our hearts and change us. A new life that is no longer empty, but being filled. It's not like that empty house, defenceless. He gives us a spirit, the same power that raised him from the dead. And the spirit will restrain evil and put it to death. So this is good news and that evil will, will be dealt with, fully restrained in our hearts and in our world. But only Jesus can do that. I'll give you a moment just to um, have a quiet thought to yourself over what we've heard. And in a moment, we're going to pray a prayer that's on the screen. And then we're going to sing our final song together. Let me give you a moment to pray. Let's pray together. I'm using the prayer on the screen. Father God, in our own strength, we will be powerless to the evil in our hearts and in our world. Jesus, your resurrection proves who you are and your great victory over sin and death. May we not continue to come with our demands, but see you have the right to rule our hearts. Would you take the number one place in my life? Amen.